Alright, welcome back to Hellspan. This is Michael. I know it's been a while since I've uploaded, but I will be finishing off part 5 of Dr. Michael Greger's How Not to Diet Weight Loss Booster section. In this short episode, I will be discussing the importance of sleep, cortisol, and the idea of walling off your calories. Now, before I begin, if you're enjoying this podcast, make sure to leave a review, and I'll go ahead and leave my Instagram in the episode description if you want to leave me a comment or book suggestion. So beginning with the topic of sleep, if you if you want a way more in-depth book about sleep, I highly recommend reading Dr. Matthew Walker's Why We Sleep. This book is, again, way more in-depth and also way more evidence-based. And if you're just generally interested in the topic of sleep, again, I recommend reading this book, Dr. Matthew Walker's Why We Sleep. But because Dr. Michael Greger talks about it in his book right now, I will be discussing it. So over the last century, he starts out with this fun fact that over the last century, sleep duration in children and adolescents has actually declined by an average of nearly two hours. And just because we don't have evidence there has been a growing epidemic of sleep deprivation doesn't necessarily mean we are getting enough sleep. We know in America people are not sleeping enough. They're sleeping, um, you know, five, six hours. And to make it even worse, their quality of sleep is is worse as well. So not only their quantity, but because of electronics, because of a poor circadian rhythm, the quality of sleep is going down as well. And we know going back in our ancestry that sleep is this very great mystery. It's a, a trait shared across all animal species. And it's it must be so important that it survived natural selection. And one functioning of sleep that has been elucidated in recent years is the clearance of toxic waste substances through this newly discovered drainage system in the brain. So if, you, if you've listen, listened to my one of my previous podcasts, I talk about this idea of a glymphatic system. So the glymphatic system, again, is this drainage system in your brain that helps eliminate certain toxins and certain things like plaques and tau in your brain. And why is this important? Well, this could help explain why those who routinely routinely get fewer than seven hours of sleep a night are actually at an increased risk of developing cognitive disorders such as dementia. So if you don't, if you didn't listen to my previous podcast, uh, basically what happens is as we age, we tend to accumulate these things called hyperphosphorylated tau and beta amyloid plaques. And both of these proteins are found to be um, uh, in high amounts in people who have Alzheimer's. And what it happens is because these uh, accumulate in our brain, it causes neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's. So with the glymphatic system, it becomes more activated at nighttime when we're sleeping. So when we sleep, we help clear out all these tau, all these tangles, all these toxins, and it decreases our chance of developing Alzheimer's. Now, I'll most likely be doing a podcast about Alzheimer's and how to prevent it and the pathophysiology of it in a few weeks. Uh, But for now, just remember that more sleep equals more glymphatic system activation, more clearing out of tau, less likelihood of developing Alzheimer's. And also, again, Dr. Dr. Matthew Walker talks about this in his book, Why We Sleep. And the lowest risk of developing cognitive impairment was found for those getting seven to eight hours of sleep a night, based on nine studies uh, following 22,000 people for up to 22 years. And the same range was found for diabetes as well, based on 36 studies following more than a million people. 
So not only do we have a lower risk of developing cognitive impairment, but we also have a lower risk of developing, developing diabetes in, in, if we sleep at least seven to eight hours. And for death from all cause more causes combined, there has been more than 50 studies following more than 3 million people for up to 34 years. Sleeping too little and for too long are both associated with cutting one's life short, with the apparent sweet spot at 7 hours a night. So again, sleeping too little and for too long are both associated. So if you listen to my one of my first podcasts with uh, Dr. Sachin Panda, uh, The Circadian Code, you, you kind of know this U-shaped curve where both ends of the spectrum are kind of bad for us and increase our mortality. And there is this nice sweet spot, which is at seven hours a night. So normally seven, eight hours is what we should all be shooting for. And population studies have found short sleep duration has been associated with obesity in both children and adults. So again, obesity, diabetes, dementia, and if you you know if you pull an all-nighter, you actually get hungrier and you choose larger portions and restrict people's sleep and they also start to crave unhealthier choices, more snacks and more sugary and fatty foods. And if you were to actually stick people in a brain scanner after staying awake all night or after a few nights of a few hours of sleep, their reward system lights up brighter in response to higher calorie foods. So we know sleep deprivation actually bumps up the level of our chief endocannabinoid in the body. And this is the natural chemical we synthesize uh, that binds to the same receptors as the active ingredient in marijuana. And we know THC marijuana, it it tends to increase our appetite. And we know sleep deprivation, again, bumps up the same endocannabinoid system in our body as marijuana making us have the quote-unquote munchies that we all hear about when we get high so again we know we crave more food we crave more fatty foods we crave more sugar foods our reward system lights up more when we are sleep deprived so in people who have cognitive behavioral therapy because they are just lacking sleep they generally recommend four rules of sleeping conditions So in cognitive behavioral therapy, they recommend go to bed only when you're sleepy. That's number one. Number two, only use the bed for sleep and sex. That's it. No reading, eating, or screen time. Third rule is if you can't fall asleep within 15 or 20 minutes, get up, leave the the room, and don't go back until you're sleepy again. And repeat this as necessary. And finally, get up at the same time every morning no matter how little sleep you have had. Those are the general four rules of sleep conditioning that people undergo while in cognitive behavioral therapy. Now, Dr. Michael Greger also offers four rules rules of sleep hygiene that are important for us. Number one, exercise regularly. We know if we exercise, we tend to have, again, better circadian rhythm. And because we're exhausting ourselves, we actually tend to have a better night's sleep. Secondly, avoid coffee or caffeine, nicotine, and alcohol before bedtime. Thirdly, make the room dark, cool, comfortable, and quiet. Lastly, establish a a relaxing bedtime routine. This is something Mind Pump talks about all the time, another fitness podcast. We all have this morning routine, right? We all wake up, wash our face, brush our teeth, 
you know, have a nice morning routine, but none of us have a relaxing bedtime routine. We just tend to come home and just kind of crash on the bed. No, no meditation, no reading, nothing before bedtime. So establishing a relaxing bedtime routine may help you out. Now, there's a few more tips I added here that I think are really important. One of them that Ben Greenfield talks about all the time is getting sun in the morning. So when we get sun in the morning, we establish a better circadian rhythm in our body. And it tells our body to make uh, to make a good circadian rhythm when we're getting sun in the morning. And as the, the day gets goes along, if we can dar- darken and darken our environment, this is better for a circadian rhythm, which also helps promote melatonin release. So some other things you can do are take more melatonin at night. Use blue locking blue blocking glasses that you can get from companies like uh, Raw Optics, Felix Gray, um, True Dark Glasses. All these companies make blue light blockers, which you should be wearing before bed to increase the amount of melatonin that's produced produced from your pineal gland. Finally, the last thing you can do is focusing on breathing. So when you're going to bed, you can focus on breathing, mindful mindfulness, meditation. Um, this all helps you go to sleep a lot better. So that was a very short uh, discussion about sleep. Um, but again, I recommend reading Dr. Matthew Walker's book, which I'll probably cover at some point. Um, but if you're interested in sleep, I recommend reading that book. So I finished sleep. Now I'm going to talk about stress and the stress hormone. So people who are stressed may eat more too. We know though some people eat less when stressed, the majority eat not only eat more, but they also tend to gravitate toward, towards foods in high in sugar, fat, and calories. So we've all been stressed and we all know that feeling of, of eating food that is unhealthy for us. And, and we, we just know that feeling that kind of craving that we just tend to gravitate toward these towards these foods. These are like comfort foods when we are stressed. But to make to make things worse, we also tend to deposit more fat in the worst place around our organs, uh, abdominal organs, when we are under this stress and eating food. And again, what's the culprit here? It's cortisol. Cortisol is known as the stress hormone, and it may be the reason stress levels correlate with visceral obesity. Now, one effect of cortisol is to boost our appetite, which is adaptive if the stress is a physical threat, like uh, a predator or famine. So like back in the in our olden days, when we were running without food, our cortisol goes through the roof. That way it gives us energy to help either fight off a predator or find food. But this can be very maladaptive if the stress is just trouble at work or financial security and particularly if the stressor is worrying about your weight so again we tend to eat our eat our food way more uh, boost our appetites and this is actually why cortisol like drugs are often given to cancer patients who are wasting away so we know when you get cancer your body undergoes um, you, the, the cancer cells are just eating all the food and your body is wasting away so People are actually given cortisol drugs and given uh, THC to help them eat more foods. So corticosteroids actually stimulate our appetite, explaining why weight gain is a common side effect of these drugs. And the weight gain, unfortunately, caused by this cortisol isn't uniform across our body. 
So fat cells deep in our bellies have the greatest density of cortisol receptors. In other words, when cortisol gets released, it needs to bind to receptors, and the highest amount of receptors are in our are in our bellies. And we know that um, when the cortisol binds to its receptor, it ends up fat, uh, stuffing our fat cells with fat. And if you see if you've seen anyone with Cushing syndrome, or Cushing disease, or if you've heard of this, you kind of know what I'm talking about. There's people with Cushing syndrome and Cushing disease have this such a characteristic phenotype. Um, to explain what Cushing's syndrome is or Cushing's disease is when we are producing too much cortisol, whether iatrogenic, in other words, we're receiving steroids, or we have some sort of tumor in our adrenal gland. Either way, we're producing too much cortisol. And you can look up on Google pictures of people with Cushing syndrome. These people tend to have this buffalo hump on the back of their neck. They develop acne abdominal striae, they have abdominal obesity, osteoporosis, hyperglycemia, a lot of uh, bad effects in people with Cushing syndrome. And again, this is from too much cortisol. So we can see the, the very extent of, uh, the very extreme of someone with too much cortisol. Now, are there ways to reduce cortisol? Of course. So exercise can have a powerful stress buffering effect. People who regu- regularly exercise report significantly lower stress levels And when put to the test, randomized control trials have shown that acute bouts of exercise are effective in reducing self-reported stress levels and improving quality of life. Physically active individuals have lower cortisol levels and a healthier cortisol response to stressors. So although you're kind of inducing some cortisol and epinephrine release when you're exercising, at baseline, people who are exercise enthusiasts have a better quality of life and are are reported less of a stress level. So again, get to exercising if you want to reduce stress. Now, how about yoga? Has there anything about yoga shown to reduce stress? So a meta-analysis of randomized control trials again found that yoga interventions can lower cortisol levels. But does this translate to weight loss? So there are some randomized control yoga trials showing weight loss, but often they're compared to control groups who did absolutely nothing. So obviously the yoga trial will show that yoga, people who do yoga uh, tend to lose weight and have lower cortisol. So indeed, compared to no changes in physical activity, doing about 30 hours of yoga has been shown to lead to about five pounds of weight loss and an inch off the waist. Now, what about Bikram yoga? Or hot yoga. This is where you do yoga except in 100 degree Fahrenheit weather. Um, is there any, is there any uh, research showing its benefit that it burns off thousands of these calories? Uh, that's sort of a bit of a stretch. When actually put to the test, calorie expenditure during hot yoga was no more fat burning than room temperature yoga. So that's just that one study. Um, but we know there's a lot of benefits of exposing ourselves to heat and being in saunas and and doing this um, uh, sort of like heat-cold contrast, we know this is very important for our overall health. And although it didn't show any reductions in weight, uh, we know it has other benefits um, cognitively, uh, heart health as well. So that doesn't mean uh, Bikram yoga is bad. It just means it's, it's not a good way to lose weight compared to normal yoga. How about mindfulness? So mindfulness-based stress reduction 
involves cultivating a non-judgmental, accepting, moment-by-moment awareness. And when we're distracted, we often tend to eat faster and for longer. So for example, men and women were randomized to eat while watching TV, averaged an extra slice of pizza or 71% more mac and cheese, totaling nearly 300 additional calories. So I have one challenge for you this week. If you can eat one meal without the TV or without your iPhone, um, that is seen as a success a success because we're we're so often glued to a TV, glued to our phones, doing something while we're eating. How about we just socialize with someone else instead of looking at our phones or or watching a movie or watching you know Netflix or something? Because again, when we're distracted, we tend to eat faster and for longer. So mindfulness can definitely help in that. So one more thing about this uh, section, it's called the meat of the matter. That's what he titled this section. But basically, a single meal high in animal protein can nearly double the level of stress hormone cortisol in the blood within half hour of consumption. And that's more than twice that of a meal closer, uh, closer to the recommended level of protein. So instead, give someone barley and soup and vegetable stir fry and their cortisol levels drop down after the meal. So again, with a grain of salt, Dr. Michael Greger is a vegan. He's showing that here that high, high single meal in animal protein doubles cortisol while someone eating a vegetable stir fry actually lowers cortisol. So as we can see, food has an impact on our cortisol levels. So if you're looking to ways to lower your stress through food, eat more vegetables, eat less animal products. Now, he has this cool section about you are what your mother ate. So whereas babies of meat-free mothers have lower cortisol levels, higher meat diets are considered to present a metabolic stress to the mother, affecting, effectively reprogramming the adrenal gland of their children leading to lifelong elevations of stress hormone in the in their body. In other words, you are what your mother ate because if your mother eats high foods that cause cortisol to be high, it's going to it's going to translate to you. And if your mother eats foods that are low in cortisol and have a low and she has low cortisol, it will translate to uh your baby or or whoever. Um so he also puts here that Every daily portion of meat consumed during late pregnancy was linked to about a 1% greater fat mass in their children by the time they reached adolescence. So if you're pregnant or, or plan to be pregnant, make sure one of the most important things you can do is reduce your cortisol level because that cortisol can actually translate to your baby. And we don't want your baby to start off on the wrong foot before they're even born. So find ways to reduce cortisol if you're pregnant. Now the last section, wall off your calories. This is just a very last quick section about how we can lose weight and uh, quote-unquote wall off our calories. So we know that food, the structure of food can actually make a big difference when we're eating. For example, let's talk about oats. Rolled oats have a significantly lower glycemic index than unsweetened instant oatmeal, which is also just straight oats but also like this thinner flakes and oat flakes cause lower blood sugar and insulin spikes than powdered oats. 
So what I'm saying is here, the same single ingredient oats in different forms can have different effects on us. And again, there's a study out of Harvard's Children's Hospital, which shows that a dozen obese teen boys were fed instant oats versus steel-cut oats. After the instant oatmeal, the teens went on to eat 53% more than after eating the exact same number of calories of steel-cut oatmeal. So what is this showing? It's showing that although both ate oatmeal, those who ate the steel-cut oats ate less after after their steel-cut oatmeal compared to those who just ate the instant oatmeal. And steel-cut oatmeal is considered this low glycemic index food. And it, its glycemic index is about 55. Now the glycemic index of instant oatmeal is 79, which makes it a high glycemic food. And experimentally, if you infuse someone with insulin so their blood sugar falls, you can actually cause their hunger to rise. And in particular, spike cravings for high calorie foods. And in short, low glycemic index foods, again, the steel cut oats, may help us feel full longer than equivalent high glycemic index foods. So if this is confusing, I'm going to try to simple it, uh, make it more simple. So our glycemic index is based off how much our glucose spikes after our meal and how much insulin gets released. If we have huge spikes in our of our glucose level, that means we're going to have huge huge spikes of our insulin levels. And we don't want that, especially if you're diabetic and if you're trying to lose weight as well. Because again, if you inject someone with insulin so their blood sugars fall, you can cause their hunger to rise. So again, one more time, less glycemic index, less insulin release, less hungry. Higher glycemic index, more insulin, more hungry. Um, that's very in short and basic, but that's why we, be sh we should be eating foods that are low in glycemic index, like steel-cut oats versus regular oats. Now, finally, I'll be talking about fiber. Dietary fiber has certain benefits, but its primarily, primary role may be to encapsulate nutrients for special delivery to our gut microbiome. And if there is one recurrent theme in this book, it is to, quote, wall off your calories. Make sure as many of your calories as possible, your proteins, your carbs, your fats, are encased in cell walls. We know cell walls are made out of fiber, which act as indigestible physical barriers. So when you eat structurally intact plant foods, many of the calories remain trapped. Again, it's not what you eat. It's not what how much you eat, but it's really how much you absorb. And because all your food is kind of entrapped in this, in this dense fiber, we're not really absorbing it as much, but our gut microbiome is, and we know the benefit of giving our gut microbiome a diverse food um, that's high in fiber. So this fiber is good for our flora, and it's good for walling off our calories. So that is the end of Dr. Michael Greer's Weight Loss Booster section, and this is the end of the podcast. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this five-part series. Um, I enjoyed this book. I recommend giving it a read if you're interested in uh, being vegan or being more healthy. Um, highly recommend this book by Dr. Michael Greger. I also highly recommend his other book, How Not to Die. Um, not How Not to Diet, but How Not to Die. Um, that book is good as well. So I'm going to end the, end the podcast here. I hope you learned something about sleep, cortisol, and walling off your calories. 
Um, again, I'll leave my Instagram in the episode description if you want to leave me a comment or suggestion. But for now, thank you for listening.